Hey everyone, thanks for checking into LJN Radio and one of our newest shows here, I Want to Be A. And we'll finish that sentence with a different job in each of our episodes as we bring in professionals from a variety of fields, giving you all the information you need to land these particular jobs and hopefully thrive in them. I'm your host, Tim Muma, and today I want to be a psychologist. Now, there are a number of different types of psychologists, depending on what specialty you might be interested in. But in general, they're looking to study mental processes and human behavior, trying to really understand the thoughts and feelings and actions of us complex individuals. So to give us a look into this profession, we have psychologist Greg Niemeyer of the American Psychological Association over in Washington, D.C. Thanks for joining us today, Greg. Glad to be here. Uh, first and foremost, give people an idea of where you're coming from. Uh, if you could just briefly tell us a little about yourself, your experience, um, and really just obviously why we have you on here today. Well, the, um, I'm a psychologist. I'm a counseling psychologist, and, and that means that uh, I have a doctoral degree in psychology in the specialty area of counseling. And I have spent about um, 30 years since the earth first cooled as a university professor and most recently now as an associate executive director in the American Psychological Association in Washington, D.C. So, um, you know, my background is pretty varied. I've worked in a wide variety of contexts like VA medical centers and university counseling centers and independent practice. And so I'm sort of a walking version of psychology in the sense that, um, that psychologists do a wide variety of different things. That's awesome. That's perfect for what we're looking for. And obviously, again, as we mentioned off the top, uh, there are different areas you can go into. So we're going to try to generalize as best we can for the listeners. And then uh, obviously, as they get into it, they can figure out what's best for them. But I guess first and foremost, as far as yourself, your career, what really did attract you into this industry? Is this something you always felt you wanted to do, an area you wanted to be in? What was sort of the, the starting off point for you? Well, I don't know that I always wanted to be a psychologist, uh, but I do know that I've always been interested in people. And mm-hmm. so I think just the general fascination about uh, people, what they do, why they do it, I think that really was a uh, sort of a critical piece from the get-go. But to be honest with you, as with many people, uh, the turning point for me was really in relation to a teacher I had in high school who okay. taught a psychology course. and. He was great. The course was fascinating. And from that moment forward, I could see this would be a field to be interesting to pursue. Now, was this something where you had, uh, I mean, a feeling of, of helping someone? I mean, you know, a lot of teachers and stuff, you have that sort of intrinsic uh, feeling of, of wanting to help or, or in some way. Um, and was that any part of it? Was it more just curiosity with sort of the brain or, or behaviors? I guess what was sort of the real uh, you know, focus for yourself even at that age? Well, I think it really was the fascination in, in why people do what they do. I mean, I think it was sort of more than native curiosity, mm-hmm. just looking around and, uh, you know, and seeing people do odd and unusual things and just the whole, you know, the whole variety of humans uh, that, uh, you know, like snowflakes, no two are alike, and just trying to figure out why people do what they do. Uh, and and then from there, recognizing that part of what people do is they wind up getting in trouble and having problems in life. And mm-hmm. and then I think as I matured more, it became more interesting to me to uh, to be part of uh, helping people and uh, sort of negotiating the, the challenges and troubles that they sometimes encounter across the course of life. Well, I think that's definitely well put. As you said, as you sort of mature, you see sort of that, that bigger picture. Uh, now, when we go back to when you wanted to get into the field, I guess – you know, if you could take us a little bit through the educational background and sort of maybe what the standards are in terms of getting to that point of, of becoming a psychologist, because again, that's what a lot of our listeners are interested in. And what you know, what are the processes? What do I need to know? Uh, and then we'll later get into sort of what the day to day might look like. But as far as education goes, what are, what are we looking at here? Well, you're looking at an undergraduate uh, degree, uh, most likely, but not necessarily in psychology, and then 
some sort of advanced um, graduate work. Mm -hmm. Um, The American Psychological Association recognizes a psychologist only at the doctoral level. So you have to have a PhD or PsyD. But in truth, a number of states recognize uh, psychologists or at least psychological assistants at a master's level. So that means minimally you'd go to a graduate program in psychology for maybe two years to get a master's or four or five to go uh, on and get a PsyD, that is a doctorate of psychology, or a PhD, which would be a doctor of philosophy in psychology. So it's a long haul. I mean, you're looking at between the undergraduate and graduate years, you're looking at the better part of nine or ten years to go from um, you know from high school graduation to the point of being say a licensed eligible psychologist. Is there value in a certain type of school you choose? I mean, I know you can look in any industry and you'll see a list of you know the top ten so and so. Does it matter as much? Is it pretty well recognized that if you get to that point, you spend all that time in schooling and and that um, that it, you're you're pretty much understood to be able to do that? Or I mean, what would you suggest for those listening? Well, you know, I think it's a it's a bit of both. I mean, on the one hand, uh, there are a wide variety of uh, different uh, universities that you can go to that offer you know superb training. They vary, of course, in you know the type of types of programs that they have. But like when it, in any other field, I think that there are programs that are stronger than other programs, mm-hmm. particularly in selected areas. I think the rule of thumb is if you're thinking about going the way of um, a licensed practitioner, somebody who would be on the practical side, you know, helping people out, then I think you would definitely want to pursue one of the programs that are approved by the American Psychological Association, in part because most states require that you're a graduate of an APA-approved program okay. in order to be eligible for licensure. So um, there are rank, there are rank uh, ordered rank lists uh, out there about um, you know top uh, quality programs in a wide variety of areas, and so it's sometimes helpful to uh, you know go online and check those out. Um, but, you know, we're looking at uh, at many hundreds, seven, eight hundred different options mm-hmm. for uh, doctoral training programs and internships in the United States. So there is a, uh, you know, a huge uh, pool of uh, high quality universities to choose from. How about any extracurricular or volunteer type work? Are there things that maybe individuals could do to, to help their cause, so to speak, to get their feet wet? Uh, anything maybe that you did that you thought helped? I mean, I don't know how much that plays a role with this, but I would imagine it can't hurt working with individuals and, and starting to really learn on a, you know, sort of a field level. Oh, absolutely. No. I mean, undeniably, I mean, the, the two things that happened by virtue of doing some advanced sort of spade work is, number one, you can figure out, a be- get a better sense of what it is you actually want to be doing. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what parts of the field are rewarding and satisfying for you and what maybe are less interesting than you might have envisioned or imagined. So the two things I would suggest, um, you know, just right out of the gun, number one is uh, do some volunteer work. Uh, see if you can volunteer at a local agency like a crisis center or a hotline. Typically, they have some training, uh, some weeks or months of of sort of counseling skills training, and then they will put you on an apprentice basis on the phone and then eventually uh, on the phone line, hotline by yourself. Hmm. That's That's a great way to get superb training and also get a sense of whether or not you just sort of emotionally are sufficiently load bearing to be able to do the kind of emotional work that's required if you're interested in that applied side. The other piece is that if you find yourself interested more in the science side, then um, volunteering for some research. If you're an undergraduate, uh, you know, talk to professors, go to the psych department, and see if you can volunteer to take part on one of the uh, research research labs and get involved in the actual production of science. And um, those two features are looked at extremely favorable, favorably when it comes time to review applications for graduate school because, let's face it, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. <laughs> and if you, if there's clear evidence 
that you can do research because you've done research and that you can do clinical work because you've done clinical work, then you've pretty much demonstrated uh, your mettle in relation to admissions into those graduate programs. And of course, if anybody or any field is going to look favorably on behaviors and patterns, it's probably going to be uh, in the psychology field, I'd imagine. So you've got it, you've <laughs> got it, and and so it's and it's not only then you know I mentioned crisis centers, but it could be anything. You could be volunteering at a daycare or a nursing home or in a hospital hospital community agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, drug rehab, forensics, juvenile detention. I mean, there's a huge variety of social service uh, agencies out there, virtually all of which are pretty dramatically under-resourced. So they're they're clamoring for volunteer help. And you can do that sometimes on as little as the basis of two or three hours a week and accrue invaluable experience. Well, that, that's great advice. I, I love that piece of it there. On the same, in, sort of in the same vein, is there field work or internships that are required in terms of graduating and, and becoming a professional? Well, sure there are. Uh, In the graduate training itself, in a doctoral program, for example, you would be uh, doing counseling in practica for your full four or five years of doctoral training. And then you're also required to do a full-time paid internship as sort of the capstone educational experience at the end of your doctoral program before you get licensed. So before somebody gets becomes a licensed psychologist, they will have been working full or part-time as a therapist or as a counselor for four or five years. Well, I mean, that's, yeah, again, that's something that we really want our listeners to know and understand. And, and maybe even for those that aren't looking into the field, but understand that uh, really all these individuals are, are extremely well prepared before they even hit the profession itself. Now, again, we're speaking in generalities. I know there are different types of, uh, you know, of psychology. And, and you mentioned even just the, the basic of either applied or versus you know, the, so the scientific side. But could you walk us maybe through a, a, the process of applying for a job in terms of um, how you reach out? Is a lot of it referrals from these internships and other field work maybe you, you pursue? What's sort of the, the general way that someone goes about applying and getting a position? Well, I think a typical way is that um, in, according to whatever area you're interested in, if you're interested in you know, independent practice or interested in a university position or a med center position, uh, typically uh, there are places that they advertise okay. uh, available uh, positions. The Chronicle of Higher Education is probably the gold standard. Most everybody on a nat- who's looking for people on a national basis would um, – you know, would uh, advertise uh, their available positions in the Chronicle. So you, uh, you know, you you scope it out. You look at positions that fit your uh, potential interest, and then most commonly, you just submit a one-page letter of interest saying something about how you see yourself, uh, the goodness of fit between you and the position, expressing your interest, and um, and including a copy of your resume or uh, in academia we call it a vita. And so uh, those then are typically vetted. Your application would be vetted by either a search uh, committee or a hiring agent, depending on the context. And then most typically, they'd give you a call. Uh, They'd schedule an interview and try to get a better sense for you and your goodness of fit, your skills, your experience, your interest, how those fit with that particular position. And then if it looked potentially promising, from there, they would invite you out for an interview. And that might be as little as, you know, an afternoon chat with members of the practice Mm -hmm. or as intensive as a couple-of-day interview with a committee and faculty um, at a a university context. With that interview, and again, you mentioned there could be a, you know, sort of a a broad scope there, but uh, is there anything in particular that they're really looking for in terms of personality-wise? Because you said they're going to see the work that you've been able to do, the skills you maybe have attained. Uh, Is it more just the mental side of things, or is there some sort of practical uh, test they run you through or any assessment? What have maybe you've heard or experienced? 
Well, you know, it's it's interesting that you ask that. It's absolutely true. By the time they call you, they pretty much already know that you have the skills, qualifications, and experience. Otherwise, they wouldn't be making the phone call. They right. wouldn't be interested in interviewing you. So you're already, in a sense, qualified by the time you have a personal contact. By the time they make the personal contact with you, really, they're not interested in that content piece so much as you as a person. Hmm. The goal and role of you in relation to an interview is to be personable. Oh, and okay. it would seem like that is a low bar to clear, that is, <laughs> that you have to be a person on an interview. But in truth, you know, uh, it can be anxiety-producing, and uh, and people are widely variable. They're looking for somebody who they can work with on a day-to-day basis, who they feel is responsive to feedback, who they feel is capable of independence and autonomy, somebody who will bring assets, somebody they'll enjoy working with um, day in and day out uh, moving forward. So the personal qualities are really the key piece when it comes to the interview. Well, let's try to walk us, uh, you know, walk the listeners through a typical day. And maybe you could uh, break it down into maybe the two areas, you know, as far as the applied side of it, where you're helping individuals versus maybe the research side. I mean, is there a typical day that you could sort of at least outline a little bit? I know things can be different here and there. Uh, is there a way for you to, to break it down a little bit for us? Sure, absolutely. And it does, of course, depend on the kind of context that you're working in. But let me just give you an example of, uh, say, two typical days in different circumstances. One might be the life of a practitioner, you know, an independent practitioner. And another might be, say, a university faculty member. Uh, In a practice environment, in in independent practice, you know, a typical day might start with getting into the office around 8 or 9. You take a look at all your daily appointments. You see what the day holds for you. You pull the files of your clients. Uh, Then you probably go on your email, you check to see if there's anything else that you have to attend to that day that's sort of an an essential thing, an exigency that needs to be attended to. You might see five or six clients across the course of the day uh, for about 50 minutes each. You take time after each of those to write out your case notes for another 10 or 15 minutes. If you're in private practice, uh, those five or six sessions are probably going to involve a whole range of different things. Maybe you'll see a couple who's getting a divorce, Hmm. a woman who's depressed, a guy who's lost his job, somebody who's struggling with the loss of uh, a parent or a child or a partner, something like that. Again, you know, no no two people are alike, so no two cases are alike. And so, you know, the rule of thumb is that in any given day, you learn just to sort of expect the unexpected. Things are a little bit more predictable, I think, if you're an academic psychologist. Your day might look a little different. You go into the office about the same time, 8 or 9. You sit down at your email, and if you're not careful, uh, you wind up getting up at 5 p.m. not having <laughs> finished your email. So, you know, you, you do the best you can do to work through the exigencies. And then, you know, you may prep for class. Uh, you walk across campus, teach your class, talk to some students, head back to the department for a some kind of an administrative meeting, department meeting, or a program meeting of some sort. And then you may spend some time uh, either reading or doing prep for your next lecture. For me, I usually spend lunch sort of hunched over my computer doing my email. Uh And then in the (laughs) afternoon, I do my research. I'll have a research meeting where I meet with my uh, master's students and doctoral students, review drafts of manuscripts, prepare theses and dissertations and stuff like that. Almost every faculty member absolutely prizes having time to actually write. And so a good day is marked by having an hour or two to actually be able to put uh, pen to paper or fingers to keyboard, as the case may be. You know, I'm always working, and most faculty are, on one or more manuscripts. Mm -hmm. There are lots of plates spinning in the air at one time, and you try to make a little progress on each of those uh, if possible. Uh, And then, you know, you sort of knock off by six or seven. I will say that in many form in in many professions, it's not unique to psychology, and definitely it's true in in academia. We're really talking about the career 
more as a lifestyle than as a job. Sure. It's not the kind of thing where you're punching a clock. It's really the kind of thing where there's always more to do than there is time to do it. But in large part, it's a labor of love. Now, one thing I wanted to ask, I hear this a lot. Uh, what is the main difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist? Is there one? Sure, absolutely. A psychiatrist is an MD, a doctor okay. of medicine, and has gone to medical school. And then typically after medical school, they've done a rotation in a psychiatric hospital, mostly in truth, uh, you know, titrating drug dosages. Uh, it's, it's pharmacologically and biologically driven. A psychologist, by comparison, gets a PhD or a PsyD, does not prescribe medications, um, and is really trained more to do, uh, to do science and mm -hmm. to do psychotherapy. Well, we still have plenty more to talk about with psychologist Greg Niemeyer of the American Psychological Association here on I Want to Be A. However, we need to bring part one to a close on LJN Radio, but make sure you tune into part two as we go into more detail about a typical schedule for a psychologist, as well as the skills and personalities that are important in this industry. To find part two, just go to localjobnetwork.com slash radio slash list and type in I Want to Be A dash psychologist and it should come up for you. Meanwhile, send us an email at ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com with any comments or suggestions for show topics for any of our LJN Radio programs. I'm your host, Tim Muma. We'll talk to you later.